Hello and welcome to this episode of Critics on a Bus, the podcast where two best friends review the latest films and talk film theory. Hello and welcome to another episode of Critics on a Bus. How are you today, Cameron? Despite everything that's going on, I am doing well. You're doing uh, well. Yep, I'm doing. I'm surviving. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. We are at a very interesting time for the human race. We're recording this on the 15th of March, 2020. The coronavirus is hitting multiple nations and causing all sorts of shutdowns, upsets, postponements, and so forth. But we are soldiering on. Are we not? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, we yes, are. What we are, are we reviewing today? So today we're reviewing Dark Waters. Dark Waters. Yes. Hopefully some people have got had the opportunity to go out and watch it. Technically you still can. Lockdown is not in effect just yet, though <laughs> it likely will be. So rush out and see it if you want to before you cannot go to the cinema. I mean, a lot of films have been pushed back because of COVID-19, so it might be in the cinema for longer than it normally would be. Right. Because there's nothing else to show um, at the moment. So it should still be there. So before it leaves, do give it a watch. Yes. We've already kind of spoiled kind of part of uh, our spoiler-free section, which is whether or not we would recommend. (laughs) You can probably get from that whether we will, but we'll come to that. So keeping with spoiler-free, let's go to a quick plot summary. So Dark Waters is directed by Todd Haynes and stars Mark Ruffalo, Anne Hathaway and Tim Robbins, amongst others. It follows the true story, very interestingly, of Rob Billet, a defence attorney who takes on a case against DuPont, a big chemical company. This lasts for 20 years and Billet finds covered up evidence of known pollution and poisoning. And throughout this 20 years, throughout doing this case, he's met at every corner with setbacks, uh, difficulties, pushbacks and so forth. Tell me what you liked about this film, Cameron. I loved the story. Mm. Um, I knew so, you would. As soon as I came out of the cinema, I knew you would. <laughs> the thing that the reason, like, I, I I almost like forced Paul to watch this film is because I love <laughs> these I love these these true stories because I feel like they show us the the real life heroes of today. Mm-hmm. You know, we look back at history and we look at these incredible people who did this amazing feats and we talk about oh you know all these like legends of history and and i feel like these films are showing us the legends that that walk among us mm-hmm. and the bravery and the 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 single-mindedness obsession of those people that not many people could do you know having such an obsession to, to focus on a single case for 20 years against someone who you normally defend mm-hmm is is a hard thing to do it takes a very particular type of person and it's it's showcasing that incredible um character in in bill mm-hmm. and i and i just i just loved the intense dramatic story and that it's based on true events yeah. definitely definitely and that's one of the first things that i can think of when i think about likes as well is the story itself like you say it's powerful it's true which is fascinating and it it uses this power of cinema to you know shine light on an incredible human being who is alive today and who did and is doing something that most of us might not have the courage to do uh, a really admirable courageous moral act why not have a film made about it you know why why not bring that into the spotlight i think exactly. that that's yeah very admirable what else would make the list of likes for you? This might sound weird, and we've all—I mean, we've already—I've already kind of laid out how I feel. But the way the payoff in the film. Okay. So throughout the film, I was—I was hoping, I was—I was really hoping because it's a true story, because I love these films of late, that at the end of the film, I—I I would be like gobsmacked and be like, man, like I was at Official Secrets you know mm-hmm. and spotlight and all those kind of things these true stories um you know where you just think you're just sitting there going wow and that emotional connection that you you get to the story mm-hmm. and i was i was worried for a lot of the film because i wasn't feeling it but at the very end they it just it just hits it right and you're just like <clears throat> you know your mind is just a, a blown so like just the way the film makes you feel at the end mm. that a connection that you get emotionally to it 
it's great i love that bit like <laughs> yeah yeah i think that that's kind of what you want like you say from films like this you want that payoff both in terms of the emotional payoff but also the the seriousness of of the topic feeling like that has uh, justice has been done to that and mm. um again I, I agree with you i think that it was rounded off very very well i definitely left the cinema in that moment when the credits start to roll and you sit there and you kind of begin to the digestion process of what you've just watched <laughs> you know it, it was a kind of moment of reflection and a moment of awe of awe and and a moment of solemnity i guess you could say <laughs> thinking about both what happened but also and we'll go into this in the spoiler zone but the the actual implications of 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 this for everyday life for all of us yeah uh, so Absolutely. yeah absolutely so with that then paul what did you not like about the film good question so uh, to be honest i i I, i'll i'll give away the fact that i actually i i really did i i really quite like this film so you're not going to get too many complaints from me but i i thought that the pacing was a little bit jittery not jittery it was a little bit inconsistent at times so there were parts of the film that i thought were too slow and there were parts of the film that i thought jumped too quickly so yeah i thought that pace this isn't a major issue it's not something that i think in any way makes the film not watchable and i i don't think it's a significant issue but if I had to put my finger on something that I didn't, I thought could have been better. Pacing was one of it, just inconsistent pacing. A few other things, just minor things. I felt like some of the reveals were a little bit too obvious. And I wonder whether that was intentional because the whole point of the case is that these are things that were kind of hiding in plain sight that a lot of people already knew about. So, there was an element of that, but I, I couldn't tell exactly whether it was intentional. So I felt like there was a bit of an obvious obviousness there. And although by the end of the film, I, as we spoke about, I was left, I feel like in the right emotionalist state that I was expecting and hoping from a film like this, I do feel like they could have rounded off a bit smoother. So there was a moment where I thought that the, it was the end Mm. but then it continued and there were some things done at the end that I felt like could have happened perhaps during the credits, for example. So I, yeah, it sounds like a lot, but really I'm, I'm actually really nitpicking here if I'm being honest. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what about yourself? What I think, did you not like? I think the, the only real thing very similar to you is it's about halfway through the film. You think that's it. It's done. Mm. and you feel like you've had that sort of okay they've they've wrapped it up and then they kind of build up again Mm -hmm. to another ending and so like the sort of like two climaxes you have in the film it you know it it changes the way that you you watch it because you you watch in essence the first half and the whole kind of lead up to that and then you're like okay and then you watch the second half and you know and like you kind of come down from the the first hour and then you've got to build up to the second hour mm. um again which is why i was really worried about the the emotional connection to the film yeah um i also just thought the opening was a bit random okay yeah no i i, I think i think that's fair. like because they never they never revisit it or go back to any context on it right yeah and so okay. it, it just felt a bit like it's like in, in, an, in an american show they have that kind of like that cold opening they cut the credits and then like it's like you know they found a girl from the from the from the lake a dead girl in the lake you know like a cop show yeah but there was that kind of disconnect is, is that yeah. what you're saying so yeah. i i i just felt that if and that is literally just coming off of my head now um, right. as, as a nitpick is that i thought the opening was a bit disconnected i had an interesting interpretation of it that will will come to in the oh. in the spoiler zone it's it's i st- i still agree with you but the interpretation i heard was was interesting nonetheless so let's let's put that to the side and just revisit it very quickly sometime in the spoiler zone okay uh but i yeah i i i actually yeah i agree with you on that one mm-hmm. 
So I guess with that, then the big question is, would you recommend it? Without hesitation. Yes. I think that the more people that see this film, the better. I feel like, like you say, this film, it's kind of like Spotlight or Official Secrets or Zodiac or any of these kind of investigative true story films. I feel like it's so important for us as human beings to to watch these films, to see the real life stories portrayed in an artistic way, but nonetheless, in a way that doesn't dilute the truth, maybe, you know, takes it and takes some artistic license with it, but that keeps the fundamental essential elements of it and forces us to have a good hard look at both ourselves and the world that we inhabit and the things that we take for granted, the things that we maybe don't dig into as much as we should. I think that it's it's one of those wake up call films and I feel like it does a very good job at what it sets out to do. So I think if anyone's looking for that, looking for a bit of a challenge, but 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 also a film with significant payoff, then yes, go watch it, please. So I think I know your answer, but would you recommend it? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, I, I love these films. They, you know, everything you said, they highlight just important issues that we should be aware of, but we aren't. And these incredible stories, and they do it so well. And I think everyone needs to be aware of this, and this is a great way to do it. So yes, I would a hundred percent recommend the Dark Waters to 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 everyone who is um, the viewing is appropriate for. <laughs> yes. Okay, let us enter the spoiler zone. So that is a full warning. Spoilers. Please don't listen to this part if you haven't watched the film, because it's one of those ones that you want to go into cold. But for those who have seen it and for us, let's 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 just start by talking about the story, because it's it's outrageous. And it's it's so much scarier than any horror film, because it's it's real. And when I watched this, I had to have a hard look at myself and think, how was how am I not aware of this? How I've been on <laughs> yes. this earth for 24 years. Yes. I do read the news occasionally, but I was literally unaware of all of this. So just to give some quick context, the the particular pollutant, the the chemical that, that was being dumped into the small town in Ohio was called PFOA, or it's called C8, which stands for carbon eight because you have eight carbons strung together, and It is the key chemical in Teflon, which is something that everyone has heard of. And it's a material that's used to coat a variety of different things. So normally we think Teflon and we think pots and pots and pans because it's nonstick. So, uh, yeah, things don't stick to it. But also it's used in waterproof clothing and furniture, um, even in like uh, lining popcorn bags like microwave popcorn bags on tanks tanks that's one of its original usages like it's 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 this obviously this it forms this kind of non-stick chemical that can be used to coat things that don't want things to stick to them Mm. and it's everywhere but it has a certain toxicity if you know taken in in certain dosages but the horrifying statistic that they give at the end of the film is the fact that 99% of not just human beings but all living creatures have this in their system and it's obviously artificial so that means that it has gotten to people and animals through channels that originated in you know uh, chemical plants yeah and then that being dispersed into water and on land and 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 so forth and obviously that doesn't mean that all of you now should worry about it in your system because of course there are dangerous and non-dangerous amounts of it that you can have in your body so obviously like most things a certain amount of it isn't isn't going to do you any damage you're not going to notice it but you know taken up to a certain point like it was for these people in this village in ohio it, it can be incredibly damaging how did you feel about that as that unfolded throughout the film what were your what were your thoughts on that one i just that was like for me i think one of the big like emotional things at the end is when you learn that this man-made chemical which our bodies have no ability to break down right in any form 
was unregulated because it was never classified. Yeah. Um, they made it, and everyone's like, "This is the wonder material," and they're making was it is it like a billion dollar profit? Yep. A day or a week? No, or? no, no. no it, it was a year. It was a year. But it was a billion dollars a year profit. But, but profit. But, ju- but just on Teflon. So that wasn't yeah. the company's profits. That was just from what this product could create. Yeah, just from C8. Yeah, just from C8 a year they made a billion dollars. And they, you know, they did studies and experiments on rats, on humans, on babies showcasing its danger and its toxicity to, to human life and we're still like but we can make money so yeah we're gonna use it anyway and it just it just it blows my mind the the greed and the knowing the knowing danger mm. that you you know you, you we've been put in because somebody wanted to make a lot of money is just horrendous i i i just can't i think if i'm right that is they made two million dollars profit two and a over two and a half million dollars profit a day yeah that's that's more money than anyone would ever need to live on in their entire lives yeah. per day over two, <laughs> they made over two and a half million dollars profit a day on this chemical, which they they knew and had done like years worth of study on. Mm. And we and Ash just sat there. And you know what's crazy? And you mentioned this is that the the case settled in what 2016, 2017? Yeah, sixteen, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it finished four years ago. Mm. And I had never, I've never heard of it. Yeah, same. And. And and that's even that's I think even what's scarier is one that Dupont were allowed to do this. Mm-hmm. By the way, who then closed and reopened as Dupont like a year after that. So they've kind of rebranded themselves, um, which I thought was really interesting. Is that to get away from the bad public image, they merged, they kind of closed down, merged into the company, and then reopened as Dupont to try Isn't and like Dupont some something. Um... Yeah. And it's technically a new company since 2017, so a year after the case closed, um, right. which I thought was just a very, that's just an interesting kind of thing, sideline, sidebar. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what you think. I, just, I was just baffled that it happened and it happened so quietly. Yeah, I think that that is, I mean, there will be people who would be more aware of it, perhaps people who you know, really dig into news stories or obviously, you know, people from Ohio are more likely to be aware of it or people who have connections to DuPont. But mm. but I, 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 I think that the reason why that is scary is not just the case itself, but it, it does that thing, at least for me, does that thing to my brain where like Spotlight, like Official Secrets, like Zodiac, it makes you think, okay, so if I was unaware of this, what else am I unaware of? <laughs> that makes yeah. sense. And not only that, but because of the way the story develops and because we see that it took a long time before it even came into the public spotlight and then all this ugly stuff was unearthed, it also makes you think, okay, what currently is you know un- flying under the radar but will eventually get unearthed and we're completely unaware of now? And so it just raises those kind of uneasy thoughts that are are really quite unsettling, both surrounding the case itself as it's portrayed in the film, but also, yeah, that 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 wondering as to how many other cases there are like this that are you know somewhere under the surface that we haven't found. I, I guess there's a third dimension to it too, and that is the question of which cases don't ever get unearthed. Mm. You know, which ones uh, is justice never kind of served to? And because, of course, as and we'll come on to this, but but as is shown in the film, and I think this is something that the film shows incredibly well, is that more often than not, what it takes is the determination of one person or a small group of individuals to forsake so many other aspects of their life and stick so true to their moral compass and be so, you know, strong in the face of adversity to and resilient uh, to see these types of things through that I would imagine that there are pl- 
plenty of other instances that are similar, which have not been seen through because there haven't been the people with that type of moral character to see them through. And that causes all sorts of introspection personally. You know? <laughs> yeah. You can't help but wonder, you know. Yeah. It, and I, yeah. And I, I think it's very interesting that so throughout the film, Rob, like, you know, he takes his cases and he, he delves into it and he realizes there's there's something actually going on. And, you know, he he wins. He wins. He wins the case and then has to wait. And then basically he loses at the same time. Mm. Doesn't he? So he wins the case and then DuPont pull out of their offers and say, you know, we're actually we're going to fight you on this. Even though we've lost the case, we're going to base, I think, basically appeal to the decision. Um, and they put some under enormous stress. And there was, and then they ask, you know, they get all these people, all these people in this town tested to see if there's, there's effects. And this might be where there might be pacing issues. And like, it just kind of brushes through. They, you, they have to wait seven years. Yeah for this payoff and all the while and th- this entire 20 year period of this whole case ch is still being used and manufactured and profited on continually yeah like the 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 irreparable damage that that just kept happening everyone could see this was wrong but they couldn't stop it for 20 years and like dupont just carried on the law the the, the cases and using the law to try and get out of money and all this kind of stuff and they had this, I think, the largest human testing resource available to them. A couple thousand, ten thousand so, so people turned so, up to get tested to find out the, the effects of C8 on their system. And it, just, it took so long that I, I just think, like, what, what additional damage has been done at that point? Yeah. You know, do you think DuPont were like, let's let's make as much as possible, as fast as possible in case we get shut down? Mm. and no one could stop them even though the court said this is dangerous <laughs> mm. you couldn't stop them regardless and I, it, was, it was just it was yeah it was crazy yeah no definitely I, I i think that first of all uh just a clarification so you were right the study at least the way that they said it in the film i think it was sixty nine thousand people actually that, that showed up mm. and it's the I think to this day that the the biggest sample group, I guess, or like group of of like collected data, uh, personal data for any scientific test ever done, because we take for granted the fact that, you know, when a test is done and it says this is good for you or this is bad for you or, you know, whatever, uh, six nine thousand isn't the number that they're even (laughs) aiming for you know a hundred a hundred people is a good sample you know i mean like it's like so that many is is um is really quite incredible which which makes you understand why it took so long to process the data but equally um you wonder what other pushbacks there were but but the other thing that you're talking about and i think what it highlights is the legal system itself and whilst whilst i think that you know the legal systems that we do have, at least here in the UK and the US and many other countries, are absolutely incredible inventions and really, you know, do allow us to bring justice to so many uh, individuals. Cases like this highlight the limits of the systems themselves. I don't know if you've seen Zodiac. Um, I, I, yeah. Not in a long time, right? I don't think. Uh, but again, Zodiac is a similar similar case where it feels like the legal system itself is failing uh you have one of those instances where all the evidence points to this one individual being the zodiac killer but because of the conditions that have to be met in order for that person to be prosecuted they don't get for spoiler they don't get prosecuted (laughs) sorry about that um but yeah and and so you you're left with this incredible sense of injustice but it is also that same system that means that, you know, generally people don't get falsely accused and, and stuff like that. So it's important the system's there. But with this, it was, again, one of those cases where the evidence seems so overwhelming. Uh, the public was beginning to know, uh, you know, Rob Billet knew and even the judge kind of probably was 
believed, you know, that, that that this was harmful and that it should be stopped. But because there are procedures, because there are official standards that have to be met, it meant that there was such a delay that, like you say, in that delay period, they were probably trying to sell as much of this stuff as possible to profit from it, even though it was harmful. So I think that that, that, that look at the system, I think, was really insightful and uh, infuriating. <laughs> yeah. So with that, let's talk about just the performances of the characters. This film is, um, I believe, executive produced by Mark Ruffalo. It is, yes. Who plays Rob. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on I mean, look, I, performance? I think I think Mark Ruffalo was practically flawless in this film. I my personal judgment for how good of an acting so how good sorry the acting is in a film is how much i notice it which and the less and less i notice it or think about the performance the the more believable it is and therefore the more i admire it and i only really even thought about the performance side of things after this film because while i was in it i was i believed it i was immersed in it and i i 100% bought into his performance i thought that I think that he delivers kind of those outraged kind of speeches about justice and so forth very well, as we know from Spotlight. I think it's a similar role, obviously, to Spotlight. I hate mm-hmm. to keep bringing that up, but the comparisons are inevitable. But um, I, 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 you know, I tip my hat to him. I, I, I think that I think that Mark Ruffalo was was, yeah, yeah. I thought he was phenomenal. Uh, what about you? Just sticking on Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo, yeah, he was just. It was just a a, a believable man. Um, yeah. yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> basically, you know, you know, he, he had a very particular way of speaking and thinking, and and just a very particular behavior about him that was just very well thought out and well lived in. It felt very comfortable for him to portray Rob in the way that he was portrayed. There were, of course, other people in this film as well. Uh, Anne Hathaway. I, initially it seemed like she wasn't going to have as much of a role as she did and I thought that that was going to be a waste but I think that the role that she did end up having was good she's a good actress and this could just be me but I, I struggled a, a few kind of small times I did cringe a little bit uh, but I, it could have been the lines uh, that she was given but on the whole I thought she was good the one that I wanted a lot more from was William Jackson Harper who plays uh, Cheedy in The Good Place um <laughs> The scenes that he was in, he was great. He was like this, yeah, it, yeah. he was like this annoying little yappy kind of uh, youngster, eager youngster who was completely, had clearly been completely molded into this kind of corporate lawyer vision of like, you know, I'm going to be the, you know, what the named partner by the time I'm 30 and yeah. I'm so clever and whatnot. And he was great and he was funny. And then, he was in it for like five minutes and I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. So I, I felt like there could have been more of him. I felt, felt like he was good in the scenes that he was in. And the only other person I really kind of noticed, well, I noticed Tim Robbins, who people might know as Andy. Well, most people know as Andy Dufresne from the Shawshank Redemption. He played Tom Turp, who was the the main kind of partner at, at the law firm Taft, who had to be convinced. I thought that they, I thought he was just going to be one of those annoying idiots, but but actually he was reasonable. And then you had Victor Garber, who was the head of DuPont, who played like Phil or whatever his name was, who who was just an idiot, but basically was kind of that character that everyone was meant to direct their anger towards as he was kind of like the symbol of corporate America, really, wasn't he? So, so yeah, yeah. sorry. So I've, I've rattled off quite a few people there. Uh, I, I, I'm interested, yeah, what, what your thoughts are on that one. I think... The one I really want to focus on is Taft. Okay. Um, because he delivers a speech or or just some sort of rant that, like, I was in the cinema going, yeah, yeah, let's, let's take him on, yeah. So like, at, at one point before the the law firm can take on Dupont, they have to get agreement from the partners because obviously. DuPont is one of the biggest chemical companies who they normally represent. And Tom, Rob... Sorry. sorry Rob, Tom, Rob deli- yeah. delivers his thing. Mm-hmm. And he delivers all the kind of his casework. And this is the idea. You've got Chidi going, no, 
we defend the companies, not the little guy. Mm-hmm. And then Tom Turp or Taft or whatever his name is. Tom Turp as the head person at Taft. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Tom Turp, he then just delivers a speech telling them all to just shut up. You guys are lawyers. You're part of the justice system. You must you should want to defend the little guy in the situation because he is right. And he delivers this really rousing speech that I don't know about you, but I, I was sitting with Ashley and I was like, yeah, kill him. Yeah, let's get him. Yeah. I was like ready to go. I was ready to like take arms and just like take on the take on the system. But it I thought, will not be this day. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, 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 I thought particularly that scene was just just the way that Tom Turp delivered that speech just felt really rousing and, you know, together. Yeah, no, I, I think rousing is a really good word. I think that's how I describe it too. It was rousing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about the the framing of Mark Ruffalo's character? You you mentioned something about this to me beforehand. And yeah. I'm interested in your your thoughts on this one. So I very very quickly, it's something I might have noticed, and Ashley didn't really notice it, and it's it's maybe because Mark Ruffalo is a small man, but I think it's a bit more symbolic than that. So basically, throughout the entire film. Mark Ruffalo is literally the smallest person in the film. Yep. Yeah. He is he is he is shorter than almost everyone. I noticed it near the beginning, so I started watching for it specifically. He is shorter than almost every single person, every other adult in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, Anne Hathaway, all the partners, everyone, and in even in frames, he's always it's always wide shots where he's small against the big backdrop and he, against everything. And I I it might be because. Mark Ruffalo is small, but I also feel like because this film is setting up against it's it's setting against one man against the corporation against against the big guy against you know the, that faceless organization that controls half the world you know like all like fast all food is controlled by like three companies but they own like twelve hundred each you know mm. um and I just thought I I feel like it potentially was semi intentional that they always made him feel like the little guy. Mm. And he was always framed like the little guy. And I, I feel like that was that was a, a, a real thing, mm. was that he was always just, he always looked intimidated on and just pressed on. Uh, people always felt a bit towering over him and always just a bit in his face and always just a bit, everything felt a bit grander than he was. And he was like, you know, a fish out of water almost the entire thing. I don't know if you noticed that or if you thinking about it now and going yeah you're right or you're thinking you're probably he's just a small guy you're thinking way too much into it but no so i i can tell you i i noticed it very specifically just in the one shot i then started thinking about it but i i then lost that thought because i was taken up with so much else in the film (laughs) so that i noticed it significantly it was near the beginning it was him on the left by the window and he was talking to Tom Turp who was facing him on the right and then there was the secretary in the corner Mm. and I was struck so much there by the height difference and I was like Mark Ruffalo isn't that short is he and then I was like hmm this looks like it's some clever camera work maybe there is also that much of a difference but I was like he looks very very small right now and I was like but I'm pretty confident he's not that short and i've looked it up since and he's not um, <laughs> okay he, so he's not like he's not actually really all that short in real life i now i need to see if i remember i think he's like one meter 73 which would probably be like five foot eight or something like that so probably about my height yeah exactly so not like no t- yeah 173 there you go yeah so 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 not not tiny he, he's not you know he's not a giant by any means but he's certainly not the you know the shortest person he's about average height really so so yeah i definitely think that was an intentional choice and even just the way that he acted and i wonder if this was a reflection of the real rob billet i don't know i haven't seen interviews with him or anything but he was very kind of his neck would kind of sink into his body yeah and he, his shoulders would kind of shrug over and i i think definitely that all of this if not for other reasons like you say can definitely be seen as a metaphor for the position that he was taking. Okay, I like that. I like that. Let's have a quick chat about pacing, just so we don't disrupt our own pacing uh, too much. But we've already kind of discussed this, but like you say, the film reaches a climax, which is this reveal of the fact that these poisonous chemicals are getting into the water supply. And that happens about halfway through the film, and you think that that's going to be the crescendo of the film, but actually... 
it's not. Yep. And then it starts to build up momentum again towards, okay, so what then happens with the cases and how they deal with it? And I think overall, on the whole, it worked. But it's, it just initially then it took me a little while. It, it felt like it then took a little while to get that momentum back up after that scene where he's explaining uh, to his wife and, and to, the, to the farmer that what, what happened. That, but then also for me at least, I found in the first half there were a few of the moments, a few of kind of the scenes of kind of the dreary dark skies and, and stuff like that that, I don't know, it got a tiny bit tiresome for me. I, I, I don't know, I felt like it could have been pushed along a little bit quicker, the first bit. But, uh, but yeah, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on pacing? Yeah, I definitely feel that because like the film has two endings. It has that that scene in the home where he's talking to his wife and he explains about C8 and, you know, he's ripped up all these things and looking for like Teflon in his home. And, and he, you know, he's having a freak out and she's freaking out and he says and he explains everything. And you kind of go, oh, so like and you're like, oh, dang, he's figured it out. He knows it's illegal. You know, that's it. It's done. But there's still like another like. 10 years left on the story and I think because you have that kind of almost episodic feel it feels like two episodes it feels like a mini series almost because you have that sort of big reveal where it could almost be then and I cut and then next week (laughs) um and yeah and, and especially because the the second hour changes so much with him having a stroke like episode because of the stress of the case you know waiting just years and years and you know you finding out that he's getting like taking like massive pay cuts randomly because because he's taking on this case or you know you know this passage of time by the fact that Anne Hathaway's pregnant again <laughs> mm-hmm. um with like the third child or second child or whatever and so like and I get that probably not a lot happened in those years but it did feel like they were two very very distinct stories and that, I think that that can at some point make the patient suffer and that's what made me worry more more than anything about the emotional payoff because i watched the first episode it was like that's incredible but like i don't feel that sort of like wow factor yeah and it it pays off in the very end like it does pay off but like you kind of sit there going um is that it you know so Mm. yeah no definitely I agree with you on that one. Um, just real quick, let, let, let's discuss that first bit as well. So they make an interesting choice where the first scene is set in 1976. Yeah. So a good 20 odd years before the actual kind of thrust of the film starts. And you see some young teenagers climbing a fence and they go into this lake um, or river or whatever it is. And, you know, they're, clearly you know not where they should be and they're there and then you get this view of the camera kind of almost like a crocodile or something going through the water and it turns out there are some some men there on a boat and they tell them to clear off and and whatnot and they're spraying these chemicals into into the lake now that does seem very disconnected i I agree that's completely disconnected from where the film then starts and that's kind of the pre-titles scene and so you'd expect there to be some connection the one thing that I, I heard that I thought was an interesting take on it was that it, it did feel like, you know, the opening to Jaws or the opening to a horror film or like you say, or to an episode of NCIS or something like that, mm. where then you pick up the case afterwards because someone's died. But what it does set up is this feeling that the chemical company is almost like the monster and that they are the ones lurking there in the waters, you know, doing damage in the dark and whilst I think that it was a bit of a weird disjointed way of doing that I think that that is very much how DuPont and the people of DuPont are presented throughout the film and it even goes as far as to have you know Mark Ruffalo's character Robert you know have almost this paranoia yeah about whether or not you know they're actually after him because clearly they are you know people who engage in evil acts <laughs> acts that are you know really really morally reprehensible um so anyway so that was one take that i heard on it i think it's a fair take but i i I feel like it could have been done that message could have been gotten across other ways and it did feel a bit like a random tack on at the beginning yeah yeah yeah. i mean that is that is a very good theory and i can see 
I can see the point. Especially like when you you know when Rob gets a lot more paranoid and there's a, that scene in the car where he's trying to go start his engine, but the key isn't the same place he left it. Yeah. The the keyhole in the car, and he's like, and I remember sitting there like getting really tense. As it, is it gonna blow up? Is it gonna blow up? Which would be a really weird ending to the film. Yeah. <laughs> the end. Uh, boom. There you go. And they do set up Dupont as that sort of faceless monster. Now that is a good theory, but. I think it's too left field for a film like this. I think yeah. it, 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 it's too much a different. It's a very different type of audience. Mm. You know that that works in a in a thriller or a horror genre, but in a real life drama, I don't think it fits, fits the right tone. Because especially because they never they never go back to it. They never mention it again. It's just sort of there. Just some kids skinny dipping in a poisoned lake. Yeah, but like the kids don't turn up dead in twenty years. Like nothing, you know, none of that really happens. So you, so you don't know why it's there, and you, and you never think about it again. But it's just sort of like I get that it's meant to, you know, it is meant to betray the monstrosity of Dupont. But I just think it's a bit too abstract. No, I agree. I agree. But it is a good yeah. theory, and it does it makes sense now. But you know, have I not? Have I not? Had you not looked into that or read that? I don't think I would have thought of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. With that, we will now go to a new edition. Oh. Uh, <laughs> no pressure, but I <laughs> feel like, or at least what, what normally happens is that when we set the agenda for these podcasts, Cameron always wants to talk about the music in films, and I never <laughs> think to do so. And so I think what we should do introduce is what we're going to call Cameron's Score Corner, or unless we rename it, but basically where Cameron talks about the music because he seems to notice it and be bothered by it much more than than, than I am. <laughs> so, da, 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 da. what were your thoughts on the music in this film? I mean, the music was very much in the background yeah. of this film. Um, I mean, I I saw it maybe a week and a half ago, a week ago, mm. um, and it, it's not a memorable score. Right. And I I'd never I'd never at any point did I think of the music over the acting or the story, and that probably is because of the incredibly strong story that that the film has. Mm-hmm. Um, more than anything else, it's because it's a really well written, well thought out story, um, mm-hmm. as it should be. But yeah, I think the the music is 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 more than fine in, in accompanying and creating those tense moments. You know, it's like I like just mentioned the the car bomb threat. Mm. <laughs> um, but apart from that, I think the music was was quite subtle. I think it was just very much, if it was there, it was very much in the background, very unnoticeable. Mm. It's no Hans Zimmer, you know, Alexander Dupont score, you know, where the music is an integral part of the story this film does rightly focus on the story more than anything else um and so the music is semi an afterthought and i think a lot of people won't know or remember the score because quite rightly so the focus was on the the film otherwise fair enough fair enough with that let's turn to another corner yes Uh... (laughs) the the ever fabled yeah paul's critics corner here it goes. So this film on the whole is doing very well in terms of critics review, critic reviews and user reviews as well. It has a 7.6 IMDb user score after 23,000 reviews, which, you know, that's that's pretty, pretty, pretty solid. You know, it's pretty good. It's got a 73 meta score, which means that it's in the green and past kind of the magic 70, which are both, you know, those are both respectable, but they're not anything particularly special. However, when we move over to Rotten Tomatoes, we find a 90% critic score and a 95% audience score. Now, of course, Rotten Tomatoes works differently. Maybe we can have an episode where we explain why, or at least how meta scores and Rotten Tomatoes scores work. But, but even on by that standard, it yeah obviously it's getting a lot of more a lot more respect from uh from rotten tomatoes than it is from from imdb and metascore but a metacritic but on the whole it's doing well not as well as i thought it would to be honest i i i expected that a film like this because normally the critics lap up these kind of true stories kind of mm. uh you know uh dramas like these i was exp- well, and, and rotten tomatoes i think is is a fair representation of what i imagine the critics would 
would uh, give it. But on the whole, I mean, that's still we're talking very, very respectable scores. So, so yeah. I'm trying to think. It came out in America last year. It did, yes. So what did it come out around? Because that's probably like it. It would have come out around something else, which is probably why it kind of got. Which also means it it missed everything at the Oscars. Yes, and do you want to say a, a sentence or two on that? Your thoughts on that? I think it's a real shame. Same. I think I think it was um, snubbed. I think Mark Ruffalo should have got a, a, a nomination. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think. I think it should have been adapted, or is it original? Would it be an original screenplay? Yeah, I guess so. It's not based on anything. Is in any other any text. book or anything? So, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think I think it should have got at least best male supporting, best male actor, mm-hmm. and um, original screenplay nom. I think definitely yeah. deserved at least a nomination on those. Whether it, what should have won or not, um, it's a different story. But I think it definitely deserved a nomination for its incredible <laughs> film. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about this and I think about how limited the Oscars are in terms of how how few films they have to, you know, and actors and actresses that they have to fit into each category. And I think that there, you know, is there's a lot of really respectable good stuff that has come out in recent months. So it could have just been a case of, you know, the overlook wasn't saying obviously that this film was bad. It's just that there was so much to choose from. But I, I think that this is very, very much Oscar material. Mm. And the performance is is Oscar material and Oscar worthy. And maybe any other year it, you know, it would have gotten nominated, but definitely at least for those two that you uh you mentioned. But but yeah, got, it's just a bit of a sad yeah. a bit of a sad oversight, really. Um, yeah. I really think it is. It's a shame. Okay, do you want to move to your summary? Summarize right. Everything. Let's let's summarize. Um, all in all, I think this is a very good film. Mm-hmm. If it hasn't been made clear already, I do think it's it's really well acted. Yeah, Mark Rutherford does a really good job playing this very small, timid but in, like determined character. And as the film layers upon layers, the discovery of C8 and just the whole realization of what this chemical is. You know what Dupont are doing, such as that the the family who were the grandparents' house was attacked, um, set on fire, and they you know the fire the fire was like maybe they got the wrong family house, and you you realize the danger that we all could be in and we were all in, and I think just the film itself it has it has so many different levels to it that in the end the emotional um payoff is huge. Mm. Um, you don't you don't necessarily feel it throughout the film but you get there you you feel you you feel angry at the right people at the right times you feel frustrated with the right people such as rob can't figure out what rob can't figure out what eight carbons means it means there's eight carbons um, (laughs) in that little scene um but you know and just watching watching the paranoia and watching the little things happen and watching the stress you know, you see his hand shaking, you get the stroke, and you can see the the little things that have been layered in there, really well interwoven. Um, as a whole, the film pays off massively, and you do sit there thinking, my goodness, like learning learning that you know Teflon is is still going today, that Rob is was fighting for the little guy for years afterwards, you know, and representing each individual person and each individual case i think you know the idea that even though the 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 study proved that c8 was dangerous department were like well we're not we're not gonna provide healthcare to anyone for what we've done and so he then just goes you know what i'm gonna every single person i'm going to defend them in court against dupont and that you know at every single stage he got better and better and better until they settled like millions and hundreds of millions of pounds out, out of court and finished the case but it's just that last, last like five minutes when he has that righteous anger that Dupont are just pulling out because they don't want to spend the money. And after all this work, they're still going to win because they can't be arsed. You, and, you know, you feel that frustration. And by the end, you're so with him and you're so enwrapped in the story. You you just got to go with it. And the ending is really sells it for me. Mm. Um, if you haven't noticed already, um, <laughs> it's paced a little. It's paced a little weirdly. There is there is two two episodes to this film, um, but overall, 
I think the payoff is huge and the performances are great and it's a very interesting visualization very green very sickly the whole time and but overall I think the story wins out I think the story is just strong and incredible and that pays that that makes it a great film I'm very much in the same boat as you on this one I enjoyed it I thought the story was well portrayed it was important it was a well acted film well written uh suffered from a few pacing issues but uh on the whole rounded off well and um and again yeah something that I just really would recommend that people watch so scores put a number on it this is actually uh, i do know i think it's actually quite easy for me i'm going into an eight Mm. purely for that emotional payoff at the very end well that bumps it up into an eight i think we're doing a solid solid double decker bus but i think actually the bus is empty okay I, I, I feel like it's a, it's a double-decker bus. It's an empty bus. So it's racing through the streets. At times, you feel a little scared by the driver. It might crash into something, but it's, otherwise it's okay. But, you know, you're like, yeah, this way, this bus is bus is kind of whizzing along. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna get to get to ready to go, which is fortunate because I was a little bit late. And that's the, that's thing, that's the vibe I'm going for. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, a solid, solid eight double-decker. Oof, okay, you've presented me with the dilemma because oh. I was, I, I was, I was weighing it up between a really, really high seven and a or a really low eight. I, I, I feel like I want to give it like a seven point nine recurring or like an <laughs> eight point zero 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 one. Like I'm in that that kind of zone. Mm. Um, I think my gut says to go with the high seven. So. I'm gonna. It sounds low, but for me, a, a seven is is a very high score for a film. Yeah. So I, I would give it a seven, but 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 a very high seven. And so subsequently, the bus is you know one of those life changing bus journeys. Someone sit next sits next to you and you chat with them about life, and they're just really really wise, and they end up giving you a new perspective on things, and then they like walk off the bus. And then a car drives in front of them and then they disappear and you wonder where they came from. I feel like, you know, one of those bus journeys, like life changing. So, yeah, a very, very high bus, meaning, you know, a seven point whatever nine recurring. But but that's that's what I think is a fair score from me. Fair enough. So Dark Waters, go see it. If you have seen it, we would love to know what you think about it what you think about what we think about it and whether or not you cleared out all of your pots and pans upon returning home from it (laughs) (laughs) thanks thanks so much for listening it's been good to be back after our little week hiatus yes Um, so i've I've enjoyed it and um we just that you know we'll be we'll we'll, we're mindful of of changes happening across the world so we probably won't be doing some latest film reviews because they won't be out so have a look out for what we've got planned for the next few weeks to come back those poor quarantine cells it's going to be fun stuff it's going to yep. be even more opinionated than normal stuff <laughs> it's going to be about some canonical uh films uh, it's, so it's uh, gonna get it's gonna get wild in here yeah it is right <laughs> okay um and with that as ever thank you very much paul thank you cameron and uh we'll see you next time goodbye Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.